Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. One of the reasons I fell in love with minor league baseball so long ago is it's more than just a sport. And we become part of people's memory banks. And we become a part of people's lives in such a special way. More so, and no offense, more so than the major league sports. More so than just about anything because we're so communal and we're so part of the community. And I really, truly don't believe that anything brings everybody, everybody from all walks of life together more than minor league baseball. Veteran baseball executive Todd Parney Parnell, CEO of the AA Flying Squirrels, on community, coping, and cash flow during COVID. Relatedly, what the heck do you do with an empty 35-year-old ballpark? Plus, tough questions from my fifth grader, a Flying Squirrels superfan. Put me in, coach. Stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon & Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salomon & Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence. Recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple at link FullDRadio.com. Please subscribe, rate us, and recommend us to friends and family. Follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FullDRadio. Joining me in person, my first in-person guest for the first time in, what, 20 months, is none other than Todd Parney Parnell, CEO of the Richmond Flying Squirrels, and also in his free time, not that you have any, uh, president of the Montgomery Biscuits. That is correct, Robin, and, and I'm honored to be your first in-person interview in 20... Do I get an award or you, a, a gift card? Like, I what get, do I get you a bag of Doritos or lunch <laughs> at the Olive Garden, unlimited salad and breadsticks like I told you. It is a joy to have you, and you know who's super excited about this? My son, Jacob, who's Squirrel Boy, they call him when he comes to your uh, games on Sundays. He has a bunch of questions for you, which we will get to for the first time oh, I get to... That's going to be the hot seat right there. In the hot seat with my son, but Parney, you are uh, no stranger to the world of minor league baseball. I read that you've been in this for more than three decades. This goes back 32 years, and, and you trace this all back to a formative experience with your dad at the ballpark. Tell me about that. Yeah, no, so I, I grew up in Locust, North Carolina, which is a town between Big Lick and Frog Pond. You can look it up on the map, and my dad took me to a minor league baseball game one time, and uh, we were sitting there, and we saw this guy that was all over the place, uh, ubiquitous, if you will, and he... I asked my dad who he was. He said the general manager. And, uh -huh. and real long story short, uh, he, my dad explained to me what that meant. And at the end of the, his explanation, I said, wait, you mean this guy gets to go to a minor league ballpark every day of his life? And that's his job? And my dad said, yes. And I said, wow, that's got to be the greatest job in the history of the universe. And here I sat, <laughs> um, you know, as you said, Robin, more than 32 years later. And, uh, and actually, my career has touched five different decades already. So... Uh, I've, I feel fortunate even during the pandemic times last year, as tough as it was, I, I feel like I have a dream job and, and that's what puts the bounce in my step every day. Well, we were at the last game of the season before the pandemic and the enormous run up to spring, right? You know, uh, thinking about March, what the, the, the favorite line in, in the entire English language is pitchers and catchers report. I want to know where you were when you first heard about this pandemic and uh, moreover, when you realize the, the shocking reality that you would have to shut it down. Well, you're trying to get me emotional right out of the gate, huh? I, I um, love it. Yeah. Um, it's full disclosure. Yeah, it is. So so I knew that some things were happening. Uh, I'd ironically been on a cruise with my daughter, and we got back on March 1st. So you mm -hmm. heard people talk when you're on a cruise from people all over the world about the coronavirus. And then... Uh, we got back, and uh, Ed McLaughlin, as I think you know, is one of my best friends, the athletic director at VCU, uh, was starting to hear rumblings about the A-10 tournament maybe being canceled for men's basketball and all that. The, my moment, though, was when I came home from here. We had just had our ticket sale, and I was I told Tanya a couple of days before, 2020 is going to be the greatest season ever. We have so much momentum from the All-Star Week, and people were buying tickets left and right. We're going to sell out opening day sooner than sooner than ever before. And I got home at 9.30, walked upstairs to change out of my party pants into a little something more comfortable, and I turned on the TV, and it was on the NBA network. 
And there was somebody who I didn't, I didn't even recognize reading a cue card on the air saying that the NBA season had been suspended due to positive, I think they were still calling it coronavirus back then, of Rudy Gobert. And I broke down and started crying. And Tanya came in the room and said, oh my goodness, what's wrong? Is something wrong with your parents? Something wrong with the kids? And I said, no, the NBA season has been postponed or suspended. And, and she said, I don't understand. You're not a huge NBA fan. And I said, no, you don't, you don't understand. Everything's going to stop now. MLB is going to stop. We're going to stop. And it's going to be this avalanche of stopping in sports. And that's what happened. So you are part of MLB, just to uh, illustrate for our listeners out there. This is the AA affiliate, the Richmond Flying Squirrels, of the San Francisco Giants. They call it from the boulevard to the bay, even though they're on the other side of the country. These guys relocated after you know the, the old venerable uh, Richmond Braves left town in 2008 after being here since the mid-1960s. And before that, I believe it was a New York Yankees affiliate. Go figure, in the former capital of the Confederacy, right? So um, – you came to town when? Was it 2010? August 2nd, 2009. I came to Richmond. I'd never been to Richmond other than one time in my college career. I was coming back from Beach Week before graduation. We stopped because I had to go to the bathroom and we couldn't find a bathroom. I actually went to the bathroom in the parking lot of the New Diamond back at that at time. It was 1988. It was a wrinkle in time. Yeah. A, 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 a fateful moment. But, but I came well, here. Your future flashed before there you. There you go. I came here sight unseen because I trusted uh, Lou DiBella and I trusted Chuck Domino, uh, who had asked me to come here. And I knew that Richmond was a great market. I never knew, though, Robin, I would fall in love with it, and this would be my my forever resting place, which right, is right. what it's become. But uh, it was it was um, some might say a gamble, some might say an act of faith. Uh, but I came here August second, two thousand and nine, and we've never looked back. I don't understand the relationship. You're nominally linked to the San Francisco Giants, right? Who have won three World Series, I think, this century. It's pretty great. How, how does it work? You guys are, are individual businessmen who come to town, you embed with the community and affiliate with a major league, a pro team, and then work the farm system through and travel kind of a, a region. I mean, are you quasi-independent? Because I understand that MLB reasserted itself last year. Right. So before, for about 100 years, there was something called the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues, and it was out of St. Petersburg, Florida. And that housed the, quote-unquote, commissioner's office of minor league baseball. We always had a player development contract with major league baseball. So the major league baseball teams would provide the players and the coaches and the staff for the minor league baseball teams. Well, that expired during the pandemic on September 30th, 2020. Wow. And uh, major league baseball and Commissioner Manfred wanted to take over the minor leagues and contract from 160 teams to 120 teams. The major league teams wanted to make their affiliated minor league teams smaller. The commissioner's goal, he calls it one baseball. So he wants major league baseball, minor league baseball, college, uh, these other specialty leagues that, that they have, uh, the, the formerly called independent leagues. He wants everything to flow through uh, in one baseball kind of form, all the way down to Little League, uh, so that, that there's some similarities all throughout you know, the process of people moving up. Uh, but player wellness and safety was a big issue. They wanted uh, to have some, uh, some more guidelines. Uh, for example, this year we have six-game series, and every Monday's off, so there's less travel for the players, which I think is great. Uh, the Monday off thing I think is great, too, because the players and even the front office staff even though we work on Mondays, it's a different type of work. Like on a game day, you and I are talking on a game day. I got here at 6.15 this morning. I'll probably get home between 12, midnight, and 1 o'clock in the morning. These you are, are notorious for the 20-hour days. <laughs> these, these, are, these are long days, yeah. not just for me, but for everybody. So I think that MLB in the process uh, of changing over has made some very good decisions that are, that's good for everybody. I think that it's such a significant change that it's, it uh, made a lot of people nervous. And then if you throw a pandemic and a lost season on top of that, there was a whole lot of anxiety uh, leading into this season. But the way I always look at it, Robin, is if you compare this day this year to this day in 2020, no matter what this day looks like, it's going to be better than this day in 2020 because 2020 was absolutely zero. It was nothing. And we're making progress to getting back, quote unquote, to normal. And we're making significant progress to, in doing that. 
We'll get there. But Todd Parney Parnell, uh, CEO of the Richmond Flying Squirrels, I want you to take me back to uh, ground zero of the trauma, if you will, again, March of 2020. Once you've gathered yourself after crying and realizing <laughs> that the NBA season was going to be cry a lot, on. man. All right? I no, cry a lot. I, I feel you. Um, this, is a, this is a bit of a wonky question, but uh, is there part of your mind that immediately thought, well, does our business interruption insurance cover any of this? Sure. I mean, everything's on the table, right? I mean, there was no playbook for this. So everything's on the table. You're looking at business interruption insurance. You're looking at, at federal relief, every single thing you can possibly think of. And for me, you know, my professional and personal life are really intertwined. Some might think uh, in an unhealthy way, right? Mm. I love the people that I work right. with. Now everybody. I yep. love them. And I tell them I love them. Instead of saying goodnight to many of the people that work here, I say, okay, love you. See you tomorrow. And I think that's pretty unusual for a workplace. So that made it even more painful for me when we had to start the process of making painful decisions of furloughs, of lay, laying people off. Um, but there really was no pandemic playbook. After all, we're talking none. 1917, 1918. When you guys, I mean, you are a businessman first and foremost. You've been at various minor league affiliates. You've You've had various ventures throughout your life. We know infamously, I think it was only Wimbledon that had bought this esoteric pandemic insurance last year, and it paid them a fraction of what the entire Wimbledon experienced. So it was cold comfort. But what did you do? Immediately call your CFO, your attorney? Did you litigate some of this stuff to say, look, this is binary for us. We're not at, at fractional attendance. There's zero revenue. I mean, you're not going to like this because you're trying to interview me right now. All of it. Anything you could say right now. Those days were so stressful because you would wake up in the morning and you wouldn't know what was going to hit you next. And you just rolled literally, Robin, and I mean literally from one hour to the next, talking to the ownership group, talking internally, talking to, at that time, we still had a league office and Joe McCatherine was our league president, talking to him. you know, And, and at the same time, you had this major league baseball situation lingering as well. So there were so many uncertainties. So many unknowns had never gone through anything like that before. And I promise you, I will never go through anything like that again, because uh, the next pandemic, I'm not signing up for it. I'm out. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to participate. But here's the thing. The pros were still at it. It was a modified season the Dodgers, you know, they they prevailed in right. the end. You didn't see fans. It was it was a bit dystopian to see the cardboard cutouts and what Toronto playing in Buffalo yeah. or various things going and on in Tampa Bay. And, and they're still doing that. So was there no need for a farm system through this or they were just going to preserve MLB decided to preserve the pro experience, but we were not going to have triple A, double A, single A? Well, in in the sports world last year, Robin, uh, the, 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 the uh, sports franchises that had television deals were the ones that you saw. So NASCAR, for example, did an excellent job, in my opinion, of being the first professional sport to come back. Uh, and it's it, it, it has a great TV. Some some might even say that they've out TV'd themselves because television product is so good for NASCAR that not as many people in some areas go to the go to go to races. the actual races, yeah. right? So and then and then the NBA had their bubble, and then so th those were all NFL. Everything I just mentioned, TV related, minor league baseball, minor league sports is not about TV exposure. It's about actually the communities that they're in, buying tickets and coming into the ballparks. And that was, with a raging pandemic, not going to be something that was possible. So Major League Baseball made the decision that, that, that they were going to do what they did, which was have an alternate site for every Major League team and have players there preparing and ready to go in case someone got sick with the virus or in case somebody got hurt. So there was 30 minor league cities that had an alternate site, but all they did was take BP and do drills. They didn't play games. So everything in 2020, all of us that lived through it, that's going to be the asterisk year for all of us. We all lived through a once-in-a-lifetime, I hope, pandemic, and it's just a year that none of us will ever forget, even though we want to forget. Like So many weird and different things happened um, that – we could probably do an entire show on the weird and different things that happened in 2020. And one of the interesting sub-stories is what you saw the NBA do to the extent that everybody remembers that night where I think the NBA punted on the season in March. And I remember colleges calling off the rest of the term where you suddenly turn around and look at your wife and family and realize this is real. 
And then the PTA starts calling and then your boss calls and you realize, wow, uh, if these guys are kind of bellwethers for everything going on. But the NBA, interestingly, under Adam Silver, this is a bit of a, a footnote, had, you know, Disney owns uh, uh, um, ESPN, uh, Disney owns ABC, and Disney also had this bubble property for an NBA type theme park where they played out kind of the balance of the season. And, and uh, you know, it, it was strange. And MLB baseball, like, for example, the World Series was played in Arlington at Texas Rangers Stadium. So people may do, as you say, when TV money was involved, but TV money was the real thing that they could not leave on the table. That's what propels these salaries, propels these enormous franchise valuations. Minor league baseball is a whole different bucket of apples. True. And, and by the way, before I get to that point, uh, Robin, I would say that the world needed whatever the NBA could give us. Like, even if it was in a bubble, we needed that. The world needed the NFL. The world needed Major League, but we needed something. I mean, there's only so much Walker, Texas Ranger reruns and Magnum P.I. reruns you can watch, right? right. And that's what we were watching. Uh, so, well, I was watching a lot of pizza. I don't know about you. <laughs> and I like that show, too. <laughs> uh, so so I think that, that all that, we did the best we could with everything, right? As far as minor league baseball, I mean, I can't think of many businesses and many industries as a whole that were affected as much as ours. I mean, you're talking about businesses and companies whose revenue, I haven't found any of our peers yet whose revenue wasn't down at least 90%. And most of us were up, were, were down more than that. Uh, so it was it was as significant as anything you could think of. You think about movie industries, you think about restaurants, you think about places like that that were completely shut down. We are right there with them and maybe even above them as far as the negative impact that this uh, pandemic was on our businesses. So that's why it's so rewarding to come back now. I mean, there's tangible parts of it, money. Uh, there's tangible parts of it that you see outside the actual games. But the intangibles, I think, is what makes minor league baseball so different than anything else. Because I can't tell you how many times people walked through those gates since we returned and said, thank you for being back, Parney. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for getting through this. All I thought about during the pandemic was a 32-ounce beer and a hot dog. And I just want to get back. So I think that we have a lot of intangibles that boxes that we check in people's life. You and your son, you, I think, told me that you guys talked about coming to the Squirrels game a lot during the pandemic. Constantly. So I, I, I think that one of the reasons I fell in love with minor league baseball so long ago is it's more than just a sport. And we become part of people's memory banks. And we become a part of people's lives in such a special way, more so, and no offense, more so than the major league sports, more so than just about anything because we're so communal and we're so part of the community. And I really, truly don't believe that anything brings everybody, everybody from all walks of life together more than minor league baseball. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Todd Parney Parnell, venerable CEO of the Richmond Flying Squirrels. You're using all these big words, Robin. I'm a product of the North Carolina public school system. We're, we're 48th in the country. Product of North Carolina public school systems. What, Altoona's on your resume? Skinnyapolis? What were some of the other Canapolis, names? Canapolis. Canapolis, As you can tell, I've left Skinnyapolis no. a, a long time ago. But let me tell you what was poignant. You talk about father-son relationships in the community. We were there. And I was messaging with you on your, um, gosh, you were looking forward to opening night this season with fractional attendance so desperately. And we're parked out there on the boulevard perpendicular to the stadium. And there was a massive rainstorm. And I'm thinking, poor guy. He's got to <laughs> suffer through all this. And they have the tarp out on the field and lightning's everywhere. And my son's like, this will pass. We're going to have, even if it's a six inning game, we're going to do it. And I remember we sat through that game. Somebody, you know, we had tickets up in nosebleed section, but somebody saw my son's enthusiasm and says, come sit behind home plate. And he's never done that before. And even though the seats were wet, everybody was in a great mood. Mm -hmm. We had masks on, we were distanced. And as we left after the fireworks show, you were at the bottom of the steps, individually greeting people who were leaving. And what we said to you was, thank you. Thank you for holding out. It was really dear to my son. He took a picture with you. Yeah. Um, it was important to you to be out there individually, you know, uh, buttonholing people, pressing the flesh. And um, that was with fractional attendance. You're now several weeks into it and you're now back at capacity. 
We are. Uh, we we had a short runway to it. We still haven't seen uh, you know a full nine thousand five hundred and sixty. I think we're going to see that at our next homestand, which starts June 29th through July fourth. But that's what it's all about for me. Like, there's been some times during this, Robin, where I just wonder if I can keep going. You know, from a standpoint of working so hard and doing so much, and and you know, it's it's moments like that when it means so much to your son, when it means. You know, so much to a season ticket holder. I'm getting emotional, but you know that—that's what we do it for. You know, we do it for the kids that come out for their birthdays, and 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 a player tosses them a ball, and they're never going to forget that the rest of their lives. That—that's right. what kept us through the sleepless nights. That's what kept us through being down over ninety ninety five percent in revenue. It's it's the moments like that, and that's why I stand out in front of the stadium every night when people are walking in. And me and my teammates, full-time staff, stand out there when people leave to thank them for, for, for believing in us and thank them for continuing to hang in there with us. And that's what it's all about. If I didn't have that, I probably would be slinging pizzas somewhere so I could be on your favorite TV show. My favorite TV show is eating pizza. You misunderstand me. Literally going to Superstars Pizza and having them bring it to my window daily. And I'd... Uh... I need my stress away. And now, as you say, I have the COVID-19. Put a good COVID-19s on, right? Huh? So I'm trying to, trying to shave that down. But let me ask you about this portion of the interview would kind of be how I hustled. Because when you re- – and, and, and you know, using another metaphor of kind of fish or cut bait, when you realize that, all right, the season's off, but you have the fixed cost of this stadium that seats all these people. You have people starved for distance entertainment and community. And so what were the things that you brainstormed and did? Well, first of all, the the people that, as I mentioned before, the people that work here, I totally love them. And you know, <clears throat> when the season was canceled on June thirtieth, yes, I know the date. On June thirtieth, uh, it was kind of like having a relative that has a terminal disease. You know, it's not going to end well, right? Like we knew our players weren't even in spring training. We knew it wasn't going to end well. And but then when I got that email, I just sat at my desk and sobbed for like fifteen minutes because it was over. You know, it was over. Uh, but then I brushed myself off and right. went to Anthony Opperman's office, and we just talk, where do we where do we go from here? We did so many cool things. I could do it as uh, Axel Rose. Where do we go yeah. now? Anyway. Where do we go now? Go and and you know the movies in the outfield. So tell me about that movies in the outfield. You have the big jumbotron. You it's- have the big jumbotron. You paint squares in the outfield that are socially distanced, and families like yours would buy a square and you go sit in the square and you'd watch a movie on the Jumbotron. We had contactless concessions that you could order from your phone. You know, the uh, the, the QV, QVR codes. QR codes, QR yeah. codes. I, I read somewhere on Twitter the other day that nobody has had a better pandemic than the QR than the code. QR code. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you show up at restaurants now and you snap the QR right, code. They don't right. give you a paper menu. Yeah, so, so you know, the 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 – Opening up of the diamond, even for Funville Foodie Fridays, when you know when people could order hot dogs and 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 food from us, and our staff would cook it, and we Nazi would deliver it to your car. We saw how starved people were just to get out of their house. We saw how starved people were just to come here and see us, see the diamond, and be in the parking lot. People would get our food and and drive over to another section of the parking lot and just sit there and eat and stare at the diamond couple things. That's where I knew we had a responsibility to do as many things as we could because we were going to be part of the healing in this community back then and now when we're back at full capacity. This wasn't really a revenue thing. It was negligible in the grand scheme. I mean, mean, pennies on the dollar. Right. Pennies on the dollar. But it kept our staff thinking. It kept our staff together. And it showed our staff how important what they do is to people's lives, to people's Mm -hmm. everyday lives. And and so I think that 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 really built a bridge to where we were. We didn't have Fourth of July fireworks in person. We made up a TV show with with CBS Six and, and our friends over there, and actually did a made for TV special that people around the community could watch. So normally we have ten thousand people here, and according to our friends at, at RPD, probably twenty thousand people around Watched. watching. You know, watching all around normally. Well, on television, on television, on July 4th, 2020, over 100,000 people watched our fireworks show. So we took a situation where we could have just sat at home and sulked, and then we, but, but instead, more people saw our fireworks show than they had ever seen it before. So that's things like that, Robin, 
that I'm really proud about because we didn't roll over and suck our thumb. We got up, pulled ourselves up, and together as an organization worked harder than we've ever worked before to lose more money than we've ever lost before. (laughs) Full disclosure, stay with us. Full Disclosure Podcast 2, Apple Podcasts at linkfulldradio.com, NPR One, and Spotify. You can listen to us on Radio Arlington. We are in Asheville, North Carolina, in Ventura, California, and coming back soon to Radio IQ across most of Virginia. So do follow along. If you're just joining us, I am with Todd Parney Parnell, CEO of the Richmond Flying Squirrels. He will not let me call him venerable. Uh, That's because I don't know what that means. But he's, uh, he's a beloved, almost mascot for Richmond since coming here in 2009 and uh, turning this AA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants into the one of the most successful year-in, year-out uh, franchises attendance-wise. Financially, uh, we're talking about how he survived the trauma of the shutdown in 2020, and the season is now back up and running, coming up to full capacity. I got to ask you, uh, just before my son kicks in his question, and he's so <laughs> eager to do this, loving your team, uh, how did that concert go? You had a drive-in concert that everybody was talking about? I mean, is this kind of an accidental innovation when you realize, you know, we're not using the park at full capacity? Well, there, Maybe we can learn something yeah, There's a few words that we used a lot that we never used before, like pandemic was a word I've never used before in my entire life. Now, we use that all the time because that's what we were in. Another word that I don't use a lot that we use a lot was pivot. Mm-hmm. Right. So you just pivoted every day. You pivoted. Even like I said before, on the hourly basis, you might have changed where your thought process was heading. So uh, we had not one, but several drive in concerts, uh, mm. uh, most of which were with our friends over at the Broadberry and Lucas Fritz because they needed to do some things and we needed to do some things. We had a parking lot uh, that they could they could use. And, and so we just. So worked. tell me how that worked. Uh, mechanically, mechanically, technically, logistically. Same, same as movie uh, movies in the outfield work. A car would be a pod, and there would be a stage set up in the parking lot, and people would buy a pod, which would be their car, and they would they would sit in that area, and the the entertainers, the musicians, would play music just like they would if it was a regular concert. Except people would be either in their car or in their truck bed or whatever it might be. So, so a giant tailgate concert. For the most part, yeah, that's that's. And was that was well attended? Uh, the ones the ones that Lucas did and the Broadberry did here were all very well well attended. All of them were because people, especially in the middle of the pandemic, they were starving for anything, anything that they could do to get out of their house. And he did a really good job. of the bands that he got were um, they they all had followings, like really passionate followings. And and so I think that there was some uh, strategy there that that we worked with Lucas and the Broadberry to make sure that that worked. So, and I think there's, there's other people across the country that did things like that. There are even some minor league teams that did major concerts of like, you know, world renowned bands like Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi would do a concert and they would be on 300 screens at the same time all across the country. So I think everybody uh, put their, their restraints down in their brain and just tried to do whatever they could to get to the next day financially and otherwise comment on how you know federal aid was a lifeline or otherwise or, or bank loans or, or other things you well, use every, as kind of stop gaps every, everything we could find i mean if I, I wouldn't walk past the penny in the parking lot robin uh you know the ppp helped us but but very frankly um you know the minor league baseball industry is still one of the few industries that got hurt as bad as it did that have that has not received you know, federal aid of some sort besides the PPP. And I'm not saying that to sound unappreciative of the PPP and the other smaller things that we were able to get. Uh, but but we just, I mean, as I said, I feel strongly that we were hurt as much or more than any industry out there. Uh, and there's other ones that deserved to be helped out, like restaurants, like uh, movie theaters, things of that nature. Uh, that have been helped out from the Save Our Stages Act, but we were not included in that. So, But the PPP really helped us from a standpoint of elongating um, elongating some of the money that we had saved up. So right. it was very, very important. And all of us have been very, very important. And we've been very appreciative of everything that we've gotten. I always ask people this, like, you know, if I'm seated next to somebody at a wedding or a bat mitzvah on a Sunday night, I always turn to that person. It could be a 
restaurant owner will turn around and say, you know what, never eat sushi on a Sunday night at a restaurant? Or what is the one thing you want people on the outside knowing about the business mechanics? I mean, it's, it's, it is full disclosure, but what drives the profitability and growth of a minor league sports franchise outside of community? From a business perspective? Yeah. Is it, it's not ticket sales. I think you do that maybe as a loss leader. You let a lot of kids in for free on Sundays. Is it merchandise? Is it food? No, it's it's butts and seats. Um, so there's there's five basic revenue streams of a minor league baseball team: mm-hmm. ticket sales, sponsorship sales, which is a derivative of how many eyeballs are on the sponsorship, right? Right. Uh, food and beverage, which is a derivative of how many butts are in the seats. Merchandise, which not exclusively anymore because during the pandemic. One of the things that kept us all alive was our merchandise sales. But merchandise, the teams that sell the most merchandise generally are the people that have the highest attendance. And then there's some ancillary things uh, like parking. And, and um, you know, we, back before the pandemic, we did uh, the, the, um, the, the tennis balls uh, into the hula hoops on yeah. the field thing. Ball launch, we called it. Ancillary things, kid zones that are all, that are all tied back to ticket sales. Um, and you, you know, you mentioned our kids club. That's one of the few things that we do uh, where there are complimentary tickets, complimentary tickets supplied to it. But that's just because, like you and your son, we want Sunday to be your thing with your son. And we don't charge for our kids club. We have partners that that the corporate partners that help um, subsidize the kids club. But the kids club, we want to be a complimentary experience. So that it brings families together, and Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings are the times when they. But multimedia in. is not really a revenue stream. I mean, take the biggest, take the Trenton Thunder or the Brooklyn Cyclones or a borderline major major market team. Are they profiting off of TV or radio deals? No, no, we do very well here with our radio because Trey Wilson, who who you know, does a great job, and Ben Terry, our corporate uh, sales guru, does a great job of of selling radio. We have a lot of people that listen to our games on the radio, uh, especially now during the pandemic times when we had limited seating capacity. We were one of the teams that sold every ticket it could possibly sell during the limited capacity. Mm. Uh, so people were people were starving for us. They're listening to us. And now it's a little bit different too, Robin, because people are listening on uh, on the web and it's right. not just listening on the radio station anymore. But, the, but that is important to us, but it's not a – um, it's not a revenue driver for us. Well, uh, the softball questions are over now, Todd. <laughs> My son, uh, Jacob, you know, is a huge fan. He's squirrel boy here. We brought him to his first game and he, he completely lapped all this stuff up back in, in 2016. And he is uh, really into the flying squirrels. He catches every game on the radio. He knows about winning streaks, losing streaks, Altoona, the yard goats. The, I don't know. You, you tell me up and down the coast. And you know, there is a bit of tension because I'm a Dodgers fan and this team is linked to the San Francisco do you, Giants. Do you want to hold my San Francisco Giants World Series ring, you oh, Dodgers fan? the you? rings, the rings. <laughs> but he has some questions for you, so here goes. I, I'm normally not nervous, but I'm getting nervous right now. You should be. Hey, Parney, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your show. <laughs> I love to interview you. Thank you so much. So I have a few questions here today. So the first one, has fan attendance so far surprised you? I read that over 5,000 fans attended a game recently. It was last week, and I was very surprised by this. So do you think it's surprising, or do you like it this way? That's a great question. You're right. He doesn't miss anything. Uh, I would say, Jacob, that I'm not surprised by it because everywhere we went during the pandemic, people told us how much they missed us. Uh, One of the things that we're waiting to see if it happens or when it's going to happen is individual game ticket sales are going great, as Jacob just mentioned. Group sales with companies buying large groups of tickets uh, has not really started to happen 100%. We're starting to see some indication that that's going to start happening. But I think until companies full-fledged go back to their offices or do some kind of hybrid two days at home, three days at work, Mm -hmm. that's when we're going to see. So the fact that we're playing into September this year, Robin, I think is going to be huge because we have a longer landing ramp uh, to, to get these groups in. That's going to be really important for us. Great question. 
how bad were sponsorships hit last year when everybody was cutting marketing budgets? Well, one of the things that you said to me earlier about how did we get through it and you asked questions about you know government aid and all that, we got through it because our sponsors stood by us and our and our season ticket holders stood by us. We had very, very, very few, and I mean very few, refund requests from our sponsors. I can count them on one hand. Everybody else either rolled it over or in some cases they changed their assets so that they could get benefits from us last year and, and then they went into another sponsor this year. So the sponsors and our season ticket holders were very, very integral in us getting through. So it was not hit. In fact, our sponsorship numbers are already back at what they were before the pandemic. Go figure. And my second question, do you think it was the safe decision to reopen at full capacity this soon into the season? So we're just over a month into the season, and we're at full capacity already. So what do you think about that? I was very grateful for it. Um, you know, we're, we're still, as I said, you know, building that bridge to the post-pandemic. So we're not taking anything for granted. Uh, but I feel like the vaccination numbers were high enough and the case numbers were going low enough and we're appreciative to the governor uh, for doing what he did when he did. Because when he did it, uh, this wasn't the reason, but when he did it, we were getting ready to embark on a 12-game thir- uh, in 13-day homestand. So the timing was really, really perfect for that. And not just for us, but the Norfolk Tides uh, and a couple of other teams um, really benefited from being opened up a little bit more. And again, as Jacob said, you know, we've been drawing in the mid fives, so we've that's only two thousand more than what our capacity was before it was opened up. But that makes a difference to us, and just the fact that we can promote that we're a hundred percent open and 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 it's a fun, safe outdoor place to be enables us to continue building the bridge to that June twenty ninth to July fourth. Seize on that concept, though. Fun, safe, outdoor place to be. I mean, you saw restaurants and everybody offering outdoor seating last year. You guys contorted to do a concert outdoors, to have uh, movies in the outfield. We had a day of catch with you that was distance. Was there part of you even last summer that kind of wanted to, and it was it was such a tough time because we're in the middle of a presidential election and so much of COVID had become politicized, but was part of you kind of wanting to say, guys, I haven't seen any evidence that this is transmitted outdoors and we are an outdoor business. I mean, I've always been very respectful of the people that lost. Because there's a lot of people that I know that, that, that lost loved ones. So from that standpoint, no. We just wanted to do what we could do um, in a safe way to help people heal. Um, you know, Lou DiBella, our, our owner, I mean, up in New York, he lost 10 friends to COVID. So to me, it was always very real, you know. And it was just something we had to deal with. And it was just something we had to do the best we could on that particular day. So some days we were able to do movies in the outfield, some, and that helped. Some days we were able to do Fun with Foodie Fridays, and that helped. Some days we were able to do other things, and that helped. So every day you just um, figure out ways that you can make the world a little bit of a better place for the people that are dealing with stuff that we've never dealt with before, and I hope to God, Robin, we'll never deal with it ever again. Uh, this is a little bit of a wonky question, but something that I'd like to ask. Uh, cash, has this sounded a death knell for cash in your ballparks? I mean, you're now encouraging people to pay in advance over the app in contactless form. Cash, as you know, is problematic. You have to pay armored trucks. You have shrinkage. You have loss, shoplifting. Yeah, so I think there's going to be a lot of things that you see uh, that we learned from COVID that'll change. And I think that's one of them. And we want to be as contactless as we possibly can be here. Uh, minor league baseball traditionally was so old fashioned. I mean, when we got here, Robin, in 2010, we didn't have any places you could use a credit card. Wow. Any, any. And now we're, we're trying to make the transition. Like, I don't think we'll be completely cashless this year. We were trying to be, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that's something that, so somebody hawking in the stands has to take an iPhone or credit card now? Like, no, that's, that's still part of the cash situation. Who carries cash, though? No, I mean, I still carry a little bit, but, you know, I always got to have that, that extra hundred in case there's an emergency. But uh, that's old-fashioned thinking right there, Robin. But, yeah, I just I think that, uh, that we will be. I think certainly by the time we get to a new ballpark, that will be wired and planned and programmed in a way where it will be cashless. Save the good stuff for the hard questions here. 
my next question. So tell me about the team and all the protocols you still have to follow, even though you're already at that full capacity point. What is it like? Is it still really challenging? Very. It is still very challenging. So from the standpoint, I think what he was referring to is the relationship with the team. So you and I, are, we're, we're doing this in my office. My office is right across the hallway from the locker room. I would say we're 25 yards from the locker room. As a CEO of the team, I can't go in there. The way, if we have a rain situation this weekend, the way that we communicate with the umpires, the home manager, and the visiting manager is by text messaging, or we'll do a group call. We can't physically be with them, and that's because Major League Baseball, and rightfully so, has tried to create as much of a bubble as they can for the players uh, and the coaches. That might change as, as, the, as the vaccinations are trying to get to 85%. As the vaccinations go up, we haven't had, knock on wood, any, any cases uh, that I've heard of in minor league baseball recently. So hopefully that that'll go away. But that presents one of the communications so important, right? Another thing, to Jacob's point, we, we are known for going out and doing public appearances with our players and our mascots. Can't do that. We're doing virtual appearances, virtual speeches, virtual. So I'm really proud of the way that we've been able to impact the community still. I, I feel like a lot of people are looking at us and saying they did not flee. They did not back down. They stood up and faced this eyeball to eyeball was something they didn't even know what they were facing. I mean, the, the pandemic was kind of like the movie Predator. Remember that old movie? Yeah. Keep more shape shifting. And- yeah. You, and, and, and you just don't know where it is. You don't know what it's doing. And you face it and you figure it out and you live to see another day. Now, this is this gets into treacherous territory, but shouldn't a CEO of an organization, a company be able to mandate vaccinations? Wouldn't that make your life a lot easier? You're not your own captain at this point. You are a vector for transmission, especially to kids. I mean, that, those are the kinds of things, Robin, that I haven't even thought about because every day I come here and I try to lead with positivity. I try to lead with whatever boundaries MLB and C- CDC and others give us. I don't make the rules. I just try to do the best I can to lead within those rules. Um, so – it's been very difficult, especially when we're, we're used to doing things a certain way. Like I'm an over-communicator. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who opens the door for the umpires every day, closes the door for the umpires every day. I'm the guy who walks through the clubhouse and high-fives every single player on our team every single day. Uh, it's been very difficult doing things a different way. But that's what, you know, a- adapting and conquering is, right? Like you just you just got to – figure it out. And, and I think we have gotten stronger by figuring things out. So my next question, do you think that we could possibly become an affiliate of the Washington Nationals, closest MLB team to Richmond, since the MLB now owns all affiliations? And what do you think about the future of that? So that's going to make you contort because I know you have to be very diplomatic about this. My son well, loves the Nationals and he loves the Flying look, Squirrels I know, and I, I know wishes what the hat. two could meet. I know what jersey your son wears and it's our Funville jersey. And I know what hat your son wears and it's a Washington Nationals hat. So I get it. We don't know what the future is going to hold. We, we know that where we're at today. This is going to sound like I should be running for, for Congress or something because it's not going really going to answer the question. The American people have spoken. <laughs> but – but, um, you know, we're, we're with the Giants, and we, we have had a great relationship with them. I'm really grateful, honestly, Robin, that the people that are across the hall now are people like Jose Algasil, who managed here before, people like Steve Klein, who was a pitching coach here before, uh, people like Gary Davenport, who was a, a, a fundamentals coach here before. They know where the bathrooms are. They know where things are. They know – the philosophy that we have. So in these times of not being able to communicate as well as we normally do, they know, right? If we had a new relationship in here, like a lot of minor league teams do with their new major league affiliate, it would make it a, a difficult situation even harder. So for that, I'm grateful. But no, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, and we'll just see what happens. What about the Nationals, Mr. President? No, it does beg the question, because aren't they the closest team? I mean, you, 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 you know this stuff. You know the Mid-Atlantic. You know the South. Um, what is the farthest you guys have to travel for? Uh, well, we're not going the to Midwest. Port- we're not going. We're, no, uh, our league, the Northeast Double A League, uh, is basically the same teams that were in the Eastern League. Uh, 
So the furthermost north team is Portland, Maine. The furthermost furthermost west team is Akron, Ohio. Uh, What's maximum hours on a bus you have to spend? Uh, well, this year Major League Baseball made the wise decision that that you're not taking your furthest trips. So we're not going to Portland. We're not going to New Hampshire. Our longest trip's going to be, I think, Akron, and that. But because, but because we're able to do every Monday's an off day, and we're playing six games in a row with whoever we're playing, and it's not broken up, that makes it that much easier. I think those two things that Major League Baseball did during COVID times. I don't know if it's going to last forever, but the Monday off day this year and the six day series are both very much positives regarding player health and wellness. Do you think there should be a shot clock? There are now changes <laughs> on the MLB level where you have a player start on, what, second base in extra right. innings. I mean, they are they are noticing last year was a moment of realization that we really have a chance to reinvent and tweak this game to keep up, uh, especially younger people's interest. MLB's tried a lot of things throughout uh, baseball. Every, every league, every classification, every level has a different rule. Ours is regarding the shift. Every infielder has to have their feet on the dirt this year. Triple A is a bigger base at first to avoid collisions between um, you know the the runner and, and the fielders. So you know I I don't I don't blame them for trying different things. There's some things I think uh, I'm not so sure if it's too much of a change. Like in the um, like in the Atlantic League, they're they're proposing to move the mound back a foot to 61 and a half feet. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean you're 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 changing the actual physical plant of the game, right? Uh, but we'll see how it works out. And and I do think that we got to keep working on people like your son to make them not only like their hometown minor league team, but whoever they get attached to at the big league level. Like, why is Mike Trout not a bigger star? He's the best player of uh, in, in baseball. You know, people sometimes – uh, are critical of of uh, Tatis Jr. in San Diego for, for flipping the bat all the time. I mean, that's what like if people are watching, people are watching. It know? does. It uh, in fairness, it makes my wife cringe. Like my son's a huge baseball fan, but she wouldn't want him to flip the bat, flip the bat, and 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 uh, you know wearing it on his chest. I mean, there's something to be said about modesty, and you still have that at the minor league level. It is still a family wholesome thing. You're not as apt to see these brawls and flipping the bat and some of the violence that has occurred on the MLB mound. But having said that, she also remembers the Braves games from the uh, mid to late 80s and uh, said the place would reek of cigarette smoke and you'd see <laughs> players just spitting all this tobacco mud everywhere. So it shows you how much has changed. And my final question, what are you looking forward to in Richmond? Can you tell us about the new stadium plan that you will share with VCU? Really going for it there. Look, one of the things that the pandemic has done is is put us all on pause, right? I mean, I, I've, I've said before uh, in a lot of different situations that I feel like God put the world in a big, huge timeout during the pandemic right. and uh, gave us time to think. It gave us time to do things we normally didn't have time for. I think there's been tremendous progress on a new stadium with VCU during the pandemic. I'm very excited about our future, and I think that the best days for your son – and other Flying Squirrels fans are in front of us and not behind us. This is an antique stadium. Again, we are in the bowels. But this office under is the pretty parking cool. Lot. It, is, it is really cool. We're sitting on – it looks like Batwood. But this was built in 1985, right? And you've had a couple of false starts in Richmond with the stadium and the bottom and everything else. Meanwhile, as I drove here today, uh, for, for everybody out there, nobody really had the term Scott's Edition in their vocabulary before 10 years ago. Now it's the hottest – part of Richmond, Virginia. You have breweries left and right, uh, young uh, young families moving into apartment buildings, restaurants. I mean, just a, 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 an absolutely reinvigorated place. And the linchpin of Scott's Edition, kind of the, it's, it's in the shadow of the venerable diamond. You guys are hoping to redevelop this entire tract here, right? Can you believe what's happened to Scott's Edition just since 2009? I remember one of the first meetings I had, somebody said to me, you see that bridge over there where the new movie theater is, the bow tie? And I said, yes. They said, don't go over there at, at nighttime. It's rough. And now that's where you go at nighttime. There's a gelato for, place. For, for, People for a good go time. for ice yeah, cream. I, I, yeah. sent, I sent two of our players over there after the game last night with their girlfriends to get gelato Celesti. So 
I think that we probably, and, and I don't mean to be uh, braggadocious about this, but I think we had a lot more to do with that than people give us credit for, honestly. I mean, I think the vibrancy that we came into town with, the pep in our step, naming the team the Flying Squirrels, people thinking that we're nuts, you know, all that stuff, I think that led to growth. I think that led to a lot of real positive energy on this side of town. Uh, and I'm not saying that we're the only reason that Scott's edition has been successful. There's a, a ton of, of great people and, and visionaries that made that happen. But I, I, I think we had something to do with it. And I think that the growth that will happen around here after a new ballpark is built with VCU is going to be transformational. I, I, I don't think, Robin, we can sit here and begin to think what it's going to be like because Richmond has never seen anything like it before. Close us out, Todd. Parney, Parnell, CEO of the Richmond Flying Squirrels, veteran minor league baseball affiliate, lifetime fan. Uh, what are your hopes, your aspirations, your fears, the, the lessons learned, if you could just leave us with a bonbon of a thought or two? Uh, I, I don't think that we'll ever take for granted a Tuesday night game. I mean, I think any game that you can come to as a family, any game I can work as, an, as a minor league baseball executive needs to be precious. Uh, you don't know what you've got until you've lost it, and now we've got it. We're getting it back now, so I think we need to embrace it more than we ever have before. And my goodness, we're lucky to be here another day. Just be nice to each other, you know. Like I really feel like we needed to learn how to be nice again, as silly as that sounds. And and I think for me, I'm living every day with gratitude and living every day loving the people that I love uh, in my family and outside of my family and enjoying every single day here at the Diamond like I've never enjoyed it before. You were listening to Todd Parney Parnell, empath, teddy bear, CEO of the Richmond Flying Squirrels. You are always welcome to come back on this show. Thank you so much for letting me interview you, Parney. Thank you. I loved it. Even though I had the tough questions there at the end, uh, it was great. Anytime. Full disclosure, special thanks to Claire Morgan at Notterly. This show podcasts to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at link fulldradio.com. I'm Jacob Farzad. Thank you for listening. My dad will be back with you next week.